customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Hey folks, welcome into Onto Waveland, this Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahara Sharma and Patrick Mooney, and we are each going to select which of the Cubs losses in the four-game series that we are. You know, I'll call dibs on, on the last one, because uh, <laughs> I've squandered a lot of opportunities, you know, and, and they've brought me here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so obviously we're gonna we're gonna touch on that Pirates series, which was I think in a lot of ways, I don't I wouldn't go so far as to say it's exemplary of what the Cubs are and where they are because I think that's a little little too uh, narratively convenient and a bit dramatic, but it did highlight a lot of things that we think about this Cubs team and where things are and where they need to be, and you know all all those. Various things is what we'll touch on. And so I, and I want to, at the top, note a little something about particularly the series ending loss on Sunday. Obviously, the Cubs had uh, just so many chances uh, to come back in that game, uh, including from the very first inning where they didn't put the foot down. They, they were gifted a couple runs and they left it there. Uh, Justin Steele did not have his best control, but then the bullpen was excellent from there, gave the offense what six innings worth of opportunities to come back. And I mean, they were 90 feet away so many times and just could not come through, um, including a number of key strikeouts, which of course is precisely what you don't want to see with this club. And I was reminded that uh, as we are here in only late April, uh, observing a team that all three of us and most fans recognized had only a shot at being competitive this year. That was as far as we would go. Uh, none of us thought this was like sort of a sneaky good team. It was just, well, you know, some things might break their way. There are some components of this team that we like and that might put some put a run together enough to be passably competitive come July. Um, that was as far as I would go. And even knowing that, I am cursed every year that I feel like in April and at least April through May, 
I'm like, maybe the Cubs could be competitive. You know, like maybe they could be surprisingly <laughs> good. And because I'm afflicted by that, this was true even in like 2012, 13, 14, you know, uh, I can't get to the mode yet where I'm like, eh, you know, a loss like yesterday rolls off my back where I'm like, eh, I just can't. It'll be months until I'm there. And so for now, <laughs> a game like yesterday f***ing makes me so angry. I'm sitting there watching and I'm like, why aren't you taking the extra base, Raphael? What are you doing? Are you, why aren't you picking up your third base coach? And then I'm like, Willie, what are you doing? He's pumping the top of the zone with his four-seamer every single freaking pitch. What are you lo possibly looking for? Frank, what are you doing? What are you doing, buddy? It's the same thing. That's his elite pitch. What are you doing? Uh, so, yeah, I was a little hot, a little hot yesterday. And I get, you know, I get smacked around by Cubs fans on Twitter and on the site that are kind of like, well, what did you expect? This is a terrible team. And I'm like... There's, it's more nuanced than that. Like, it, it's not that this isn't a terrible team. It's just it's not a great team. It's 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 so I'm allowed early in the season to be vexed beyond words when a game like yesterday happens, when the Cubs outscore the Pirates 29 to 12 in a four game series and lose the series one to three. Like, <laughs> I'm allowed to be pissed off by that. And so I'm going to pass off to you guys for now to talk about any you know particulars from the series or I, and I saw you were t saying some similar things to about how it's not, it's not a terrible team. That isn't the answer to a series like this where you're like, well, you're not supposed to feel feelings because this is a terrible team. No, <laughs> yeah. that's not precisely correct. Uh, so yeah. Go, I, go I, I mean, I can feel your frustration in the sense that uh, when people like to make leaps like that and completely ignore all nuance and and this and a weekend like this justifies that type of response when you lose one of three to the pirates it's very easy to say see i told you this team is terrible this is an awful team what did you expect it's it's really easy to do that and it's really hard to combat it and when you actually look at the team and look at the numbers and look at how they're performing uh they're not terrible <laughs> But it's not what you want. I mean, being not terrible is not what the Cubs should be, right? And I understand that frustration. When you come at me with, this team should spend more, this team should have brought in more stars, I'm not going to argue with that. When you say, well, this team just sucks, and this is what they are, that's where, like, there there has to be some balance here, right? There there needs to be some balance of how you look at this team, uh, and, what you know, you could argue about the offense, I still... I don't think that's the issue. I just don't. Uh, people are like, well, they clearly struggle against fastballs still. I thought that was supposed to be an issue. They're one of the top 10 teams against fastballs this year in the zone. Uh, they, they're still chasing that high strike. Nope. They're, they're one of the <laughs> bottom 10 teams when it comes to chasing the high fastball. Uh, like, so, yes, there are some moments where they did that. Wilson did it in a big moment yesterday. Uh and and Brett, what you said about what what are you doing? You know what Bednar is going to do. I I straight up asked Frank Schwindel. I saw like, it in your you article, yeah. and I still I pl I couldn't help yeah. myself with say it. I saw it. But yes, go read Zahadev's article. He, say what you said. <laughs> it's what Frank said. I know. I know. Yeah, I asked him. Are you just going up there against Bednar? Uh, you know, gearing up for the fastball because. I felt like I saw the same thing, right? I between the t uh, the end of the game and uh, getting into the clubhouse, I hadn't looked up exactly what Bednar had been throwing 
throwing them, but it felt like it was a ton of fastballs. And he does throw a ton of fastballs, but what did he throw in Frank the last time Frank saw him? He, he dropped in a curveball first pitch strike and then got him on a splitter. It got him to ground out on a splitter. So that's in Frank's head. And then he bumps three straight fastballs at him. It's just a good game plan by Bednar there. Like that that's hard to combat. Bednar's got that fastball that that's hard to, you know, hard to lay off and also hard to hit. Uh we'll see if they, they get get to him eventually. But it's that trio of Dylan Peters, Will Crow, and, and David Bednar that just just shut the Cubs up all weekend long. It was a really difficult weekend with that trip. I mean, even well, like in, ba- in Pittsburgh. By the way, just because the Pirates are bad doesn't mean they don't have good individual players. Those right. are good pitches. Like, they do have three <laughs> very good relievers. It's just the Cubs saw them three out of four games. Yeah, the problem, I, I mean, the big problem was, you know, the starters weren't going deep enough and they were giving up early leads. And then that led to the Cubs eating up their, their really good bullpen, which... It, it's it's always weird how how people react to bullpens. Well, this bullpen will be the downfall of the Cubs. I get so much of that. I'm not sure if you guys get that, but I get a lot of, well, this bullpen is terrible, and it's one of the best bullpens in baseball right now. Again, all of this is small sample. Like we can't like overreact to any of this, but the bullpen's not the issue. The bullpen is not the issue. My my biggest glaring issues with this team are the starting pitching isn't going deep enough right now, yes. and I think there's some easy corrections to that, and the defense uh, when Jonathan VR is out there is rough. And, and I think that's a major issue as far as how the roster is constructed. And unfortunately, I think it all comes back to Jason Hayward being on this team. And it sucks can we, that you have can we to single that? out one guy. Yeah, can we and save that? we can save that. Because that'll be, yeah. that, there's and, a whole, yeah. I, and, I, and I just think it's a big elephant in the room and it's unfortunate but that I think that's the reality when you're when you're in the situation that the Cubs are in currently. Yeah, I mean it feels like the Cubs at one point had like eight outfielders and like only one guy who can play shortstop on their roster. And I remember Saad, we were talking about this in spring training, and you're like, I don't get this. I don't get this roster, how it fits together. And without I don't know, putting words in your mouth, you're kinda of like, Well, they're going to make trades. They have to work this out or, you know, make uh, subtractions here that you know whatever point this is in their cycle like it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense and you're going to see more and more kind of issues like that because that's what this game is you get exposed over time and the Cubs have not you know put themselves in a great position I was kind of laughing the other day Jed Hoyer did a quick score on with the group and I was like in my head, I'm like, you know, should we start booking the World Series parade yet? Like booking tickets for the playoffs? Because it was just like all this kind of happy talk about the team. And, you know, I haven't quite seen it yet. Like, you know, the the new the new and improved offense and some of the pitching developments. And I think parts of that are there. It's just that I think you're going to see how thin this team is. And you see it with Saya. Like good players cost a lot of money. Like that's the price of doing business. And you see what happens when you make a good investment and a guy with a track record, a guy that you your scouts believe in, that your R&D department believes in. And that was kind of my takeaway from Saturday. I know there were some commenters who felt I was you know, too negative of pointing out certain things. But like days like Saturday shouldn't be the anomaly. And I'm not talking about scoring 21 runs or you know largest shutouts in franchise histories. It's like the Cubs should be relevant year after year after year. And we shouldn't just normalize 
this idea that the Cubs have only like one guy in the roster who can play shortstop or that, you know, their uh, rotation is once again, looking like one of the worst in the game. It's like, you kind of get what you, what you pay for. And, you know, I don't think Cubs fans should, you know, kind of just be okay with, you know, we're going to write off seasons to kind of figure out what we got. Like they did that uh, when they were facing a century and counting championship drought. Uh, I just think you're going to see over time that say what 50 to $70 million they could have spent without even going across the luxury tax threshold. Like you could have patched a lot of holes that way and still done all this other stuff behind the scenes under the hood that you've been working on for years. Um, It's going to show up. It's going to keep showing up. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. That, by the way, is why it's it is bonkers to me. The folks who say, you know, ah, this team won't be competitive until 24, 25, 26, whatever. I'm like, are you fine with them not even trying for for next year? Even though, like, I can lay out that blueprint for you. I'm not going to do it because it's April of 2022. But like, it isn't that unforeseeable that this team is competitive next year. And it's crazy to hand wave that away now. Like eh, anyway, that's a whole, it's a whole side point, but, but it goes to what you're saying, Patrick, that like, it isn't that hard to diagnose the issues. And now a say a Suzuki isn't going to come around in free agency every year, but useful players will, they just cost a lot of money and the Cubs are going to have a lot of short-term money again next year. And they will have younger players who are aging next year. They, ooh, anyway, set that aside. I'm just putting a pin in a lot of things today. We're going to, we're going to have a pin episode later on, but I wanted to circle back to one of the points that both of you guys were making. You're talking about the shortstop situation and how the roster kind of looks clunky. And I think actually it ties to, to, to this, this conversation too. That's, a lot of the reason why it was crazy when people were beefing so aggressively with the Anderson Simmons signing. Now we said at the time, okay, what they're really mad about is Carlos Correa. Like what all of this about is Carlos Correa. And I think there are good reasons why the Cubs did not end up signing him that are tied to the structure of his contract. I think it really kind of sucks for the twins, his, his current contract. Um, and you know, you're going to give up a high second rounder and IFA money for that. And I just, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I'm, I'm, I am cool with the Cubs not having signed that deal. I hope he opts out. I hope we get to have more conversations about him in the off season, but that need to have another shortstop on the roster 
this is when we were thinking that Nico might be sort of the and one guy at shortstop, not the surefire. I mean, hey, if you want to give plaudits right now, we can give it. The dude looks really good at shortstop. That I am kind of, I don't, I don't want to go so far as to say I'm eating my words, but I had way more concerns about his ability to be a regular shortstop than appear to have been justified because he looks really good. Um, but that was why Simmons was so necessary because. I don't know that any of us were looking at Jonathan VR as a going to play shortstop multiple times a week. Uh, I didn't think he'd be this bad, but I don't think that he was signed to be a guy who's going to be your sort of regular backup shortstop. And since you can't currently play Nico into the ground, someone's got to play shortstop sometimes. And because Simmons is hurt, it's got to be VR. And we've seen any uh, his defense on the left side of the infield this year has been scary, not just not just bad, not just disappointing. It's been like, oh my God, he, they, you can't put him out there, uh, which is similarly unfortunate because he's he's been hitting well. I've loved his at-bats. Like he's looked really good at the plate. And so I think what this, this is my segueing into what Sahadev was talking about that I asked him to put a pin in and then I'll open this up to him more. The Cubs need Simmons back because they need another defender on the left side that can spell Nico Horner sometimes uh, and help preserve his body. And also just some added defense for the pitching. I mean, I think we've seen it already is impacting the starting pitching that got to throw some extra pitches, got to get some extra outs, the outing, um, you know, the, the Marcus Stroman outing from, that we just saw different third baseman in, in the game at that time. Maybe that whole inning looks different. Um, so Simmons is going to be back at some point soon. He's, sort of playing in the fake games right now in Arizona. And then you also have the roster shrinking down. We're at a week to where the a week away from the roster cutting two more people down, 28 man to 26 man. The balance of the roster does not make sense right now. The volume of outfielders, even after Clint Frazier goes on the injured list, does not make sense. The way Alfonso Rivas is up now, but is sitting so that both Jason Hayward and Rafael Ortega can be in the lineup instead is galling, uh, to put it mildly. And there are just a lot of things. And then again, when Simmons comes back, somebody else has got to get booted. And I don't know, does that mean it's going to be Rivas going down again? As David Ross has said, yeah, you're the guy who has options. I don't think I'm going to be okay with that. I think having Rivas up and letting him play checks a lot of the boxes of what the Cubs are trying to accomplish this year in a way that playing Jason Hayward does not, and arguably playing Ortega does not. And so that is, and, and, and that isn't us buying into Rivas being a true talent 500 BAPIP guy. It's not like anybody thinks that that is real. It's just he is a guy who has hit everywhere he's played, despite very limited minor league experience. Uh, I want to see it. I want to see what he can do, much in the same way I want to see Frank Schwindel. It's the same kind of idea, different Different type of player, different age, different future, but you want to know what they could be for you in 2023, right? So let's see those guys now because I can tell you one guy who's not going to be a significant contributor to the next great Cubs team, and I'm sorry, is Jason Hayward. I don't understand what's going on there with that. People are pointing to his results this year and he's got like, you know, 115 weighted runs created plus or whatever. Good, great, grand. Have you actually watched? Because if you have, you've seen that it, there is 
very little there to actually hang your hat on and say, oh, yeah, he's figured some things out. He's back. No. And then if you look at the peripherals, it's all smoke. He's got a bat that's completely unjustified by his contact quality. His ground ball rate is back over 50%. He's striking out more than ever. He's not still not walking. He's not making hard contact on fastballs in the zone. Uh, his, by the way, remember the conversations? I know I'm just like ranting here, but the conversations <laughs> we had in the past about when he's at his best, he's going to left center. Not quite full oppo, but like left center. We, I remember we had this for years with him We've, on this right, podcast. Right. We talked about it. His pull, his oppo rate this year is zero percent zero percent i know it's small sample and it's early but zero it's crazy okay so now now that i asked you to put a pin in and and stole uh, a great deal of your thunder uh i think we should talk a little bit about that the outfield the roster construction and how it comes together over the course of the next week because changes have to come by the rules yeah i mean ultimately i i mean you said a lot of it there and i think you're really spot on and I think it's unfortunate because Jason Hayward's a good dude he, he sets a great example he's never um, he's never the type to complain or he's he's trying to be that guy that uh, that Ross needs him to be where he'll give him starts but the second a lefty comes in for the most part he's going to pull him uh, he's 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 aggressively pinch hit for him for the most part uh, it, which is part of why I, I don't think it's absolutely terrible that he sat Revis to start yesterday because you knew Revis would get a couple uh, at at bats, right? Because that's how Ross Ross is using his bench. But I, I get the, the need or the desire to see him play regularly just in general because that's what the point of this year is. If you're not going to compete, let's find out what what you have. What what do you have? And and we know what Jason Hayward is. Um and and it's just hard. It's it's a hard situation because he's really complicating things with the roster. You 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 remove him from the puzzle, and it's you you can go straight platoon with Ortega and Hermosillo and center. It really loosens up the the DH, which gives you kind of flexibility to play like a Rivas, Schwindel, Hap mix at those at first, left, and DH. Uh, if Simmons is healthy, I do wonder how often Ross would use him at short. But if he uses him essentially like he's used VR at short, which is two starts, I think Cubs fans would like that a lot more than giving uh, uh, Simmons a ton of starts. But even if it were, were four starts out of how many games is it? 13? What are we at? No, we're at 16 games, right? Seven and nine is the record or six and eight? 14 games. Uh, no, I was right. You're right. Seven and nine. Seven and nine. Okay, uh, so 16 games in, you know, if he's got four starts, that's that's perfect. That's what you want, right? You don't want a ton of starts for Simmons. Nico, like, I completely agree with what you said about Nico. He's looked so much better than what I expected. Uh, he's, I think they're positioning them well, uh, and, and the that's defense a good, that's looks... That's a good point, by the way. Yeah, the defense has looked good overall outside of VR. I mean, if you eliminate VR's mistakes, the defense has almost been perfect. I just worry about the range overall. Uh, it's it's just unfortunate because I don't know <laughs> I don't know how or when they rectify this issue. And you're right, the numbers are good enough for Hayward, even if it's smoke and mirrors, that it's hard to bring him into the office and say, "Sorry, man, this just isn't working out." Uh, 
that's it's a difficult situation for the Cubs right now, and one that I don't uh, that I'm sure Ross doesn't love. Can, can but... I just say one thing on that that I want to plant my flag? I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to write it on the site. If when rosters are chopped down in a week, if the one to one decision is that the Cubs DFA Michael Hermosillo in favor of keeping Jason Hayward, I'm going to lose my shit. And I and I and I will say all of the kind things about Jason Hayward, about what he's meant for the organization, about his time, about his presence in the clubhouse, about his leadership, about his dedication to the community. All that stuff is awesome. But the contract is sunk and you're just choosing one to one for the roster. It, it would be. <laughs> all right. I don't even have to say it. You 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 all know what I'm thinking. It just would not because we're right going to make decision. up some phantom injuries. Don't so worry right about now, it, Brett. It, I, I, do you know how much like five phantom injuries right? are going right to come now? up with? Like, oh yeah, he's yes. been dealing with, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z. Isn't it fifteen thirteen right now? Fifteen thirteen pitchers, pitchers are ahead. Fifteen thirteen, and it needs to be thirteen thirteen. Or am I missing something? Or am I forgetting a move? Yeah, because essentially they need to get rid of two, two pitchers, right? And it would be Ethan Roberts. And I thought they were back to fourteen fourteen, but I, I could be wrong. Also. You know what? Why don't I'm you just sure how they why don't you just riff there. while I'm while I'm doing some quick counting? Uh, I'll let Patrick talk. I've I've, I've ranted enough. <laughs> no, I think it's pretty pretty clear oh, how no, you're right. By the way, it's four. It's fifteen thirteen. Sorry. Okay. Everybody stays. <laughs> I think everyone. <laughs> but Simmons eventually has to. Yeah, come Simmons back. has to. Come I think back. everyone can generally understand that there's going to be a point in the future where the Cubs will reach that determination. Um, the end of April seems kind of early to me. I think you let it play out another week because a lot can happen in that short period of time. We know the phantom injury will pop up here and there. I think in general, we and the Cubs to a certain extent are kind of like um, – banking too much on this idea of like untapped potential of like all of these guys, like the Cubs have outsmarted the entire industry on all of these kind of like uh fringe roster guys. And, you know, in my conversations with Sahadev, I think some of it, you know, and Sahadev kind of clued me in on this of like, you know, the Cubs know more about these guys than we do. And like, if these guys aren't playing a lot, maybe it's because the Cubs don't think they're that good. You know what I mean? Like there are kind of elements to this, uh, behind closed doors that we're not totally privy to. But ultimately, they show us in terms of how they set the lineup each day. And while there are always kind of financial decisions or lots of factors that go into it, like Clint Frazier pre-injury or pre-appendicitis or even Hermosillo now, like if they'd kind of blown their doors off, like I think Ross would be playing them more. And maybe there's something there of that, you know, they haven't quite seen it yet. And, you know, I, I go back to when they DFA'd Edwin Jackson. That was probably what, like a June, late June, early July, if I remember correctly. And the team was kind of getting better too. So like maybe they give Hayward some more runway and they see where they are and that maybe he wouldn't, a lot of this may sort themselves out if they're going to be like, unloading a third of the active roster at the trade deadline too. And all of a sudden uh, those 40 man roster spots aren't so precious. And you kind of, 
I don't know. That's not what Cubs fans want to hear. I'm just trying to like think this through from their perspective in a way that, um, you know, I don't think they're sentimental at all, but I think there's like a lot here that we can't just say that, like, I don't know how that conversation would work with Jason Hayward, uh, considering the, the person he is and the, the contributions he's made uh, to the team in the city. No, I get it. You're It's Patrick Mooney, the org defender. I get it. That's always the. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm kidding because it should be obvious that that is not. No, I'm just, just like like it's not the seat happen? you typically sit like, in. Well, you know, it's a lot of money. Like if you're Jed, do you want to go no. to Tom and say we're paying him to go to go away, and then you go to Jed, uh, then you tell David Ross, or you have to tell Jason Hayward, one of your best friends, he gone. Like yeah, yeah. But but here and here's the thing on that, and I. I will not claim to know the inner politicking of the, because that can have a tangible impact on performance too. You know, like there, there may be reasons inside the clubhouse why Cubs are handling things the way they are, the timing with, you know, letting someone like Hayward go. I, I appreciate that uh, we will always have less information than the Cubs about that. And to the point you were making about performance and the Cubs internal evaluation of certain guys, I do also mention that often. I'm like, well, you know, Clint Frazier isn't starting. There's probably a reason for that where the Cubs have evaluated him in a certain way that this is how he can contribute. And this is how he would maybe not contribute fair and fine. But my two responses, not to you, Patrick, but to the Cubs would be in a situation where even if the chance that you might see some development from a guy, for example, like Michael Hermosillo, who clearly the angels evaluated him the same way can hit lefties, even potentially at a big league level, can't hit righties at a big league level. That was very clear from their use of him for multiple years as an up-down guy. Um, And the Cubs appear to have evaluated in the same way. Fine, they might be right. But even if there were like a 5% chance that if you gave him those ABs, maybe he could turn the corner, wouldn't that be worth exploring more than the 0% chance that Jason Hayward just turns everything around and becomes a massively impactful player this year and next year in a way that transforms the way you think about your roster uh, heading into 23 and 24. I think I feel like that's pretty close to zero. I feel like we as outsiders can make that evaluation. And so if you are making the decision, if the Cubs are making any of those roster decisions on the basis of performance on on the basis of not believing that some of these fringe guys could do more in another role, then I think that's a mistake. And I think that is fair to point to, um, again, allowing for the fact that there could be other factors at play that make the timing kind of tricky. And I agree with Mooney too, like in the abstract, you would not have come into this season thinking Hayward's going to get the boot by May. I wouldn't have. I think we talked about it. We we're like, yeah, he's going to get a couple months at least to see how he looks and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but sometimes external circumstances force your hand and it's going to be that return of Simmons uh, after the roster uh, you know, decompresses at the end of this month. So we'll see. Phantom injury hopefully will be the solution so that I don't have to lose my shit. But, uh, <laughs> you know, all, all well put by you, Mooney. I, I mean... It- 
Yeah, just now thinking about it, if it's 15-13, I mean, it's Rucker and Roberts, right, that go down, and and that's a simple enough move for the Cubs, and and then they, they have a decision whenever Simmons comes back, which we're well, getting and, the- And Miley and Mills, the most, by the way. Yeah. But that's all, but it's going to be- Oh, right. But it's that sort of doesn't right, matter for purposes of this discussion, right, because you, you're capped at 13 pitchers- and we're pretty sure the. Cu- I think it has to be thirteen and thirteen, right? You can't go. I know you can't, you can't go more check. than thirteen pitchers, but that's what I was going to ask: is if you yeah. wanted, which no team in the modern age is going to, but if you wanted yeah. to go twelve and fourteen, you know, twelve pitchers, I think you could. I think you can. I think you could. I think you're right. Yeah, so they'll have decisions to make there, but that's on the pitching side, and doesn't and that is going to be interesting. I, I don't know. Uh, what I find interesting is like, we have no idea what's going on with Simmons as far as when he's returning. We've gotten zero timeline. It's just like, yeah, he's in Arizona working. It's like, okay. <laughs> and when if we ask for a timeline, no timeline. Okay. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I have no idea what that situation is right now and when he's coming back. Uh, on But on the subject of Nico, just uh, I just thought this is, has nothing to do with what we were talking about, but I just have to bring it up. Because I I just kind of love how Nico entering Friday was hitting uh, like 220. And then by Sunday, fans are like, you can't take Nico <laughs> out of the lineup. <laughs> and like screaming about it. And like, if you're going to sit anyone, just sit Madrigal. He stinks. And literally, if Madrigal has two games like Nico has, they're going to be the same player. Like, it's just, it was two great games. I'm not taking anything away from Nico. I think, like, getting the ball up in the air and hitting hard line drives is his path to success. And he did that on Friday and Saturday. But, <laughs> like, just to, to, to suggest that Nick Madrill can't get there, it's impossible for him to have two good games. But Nico's two good games is exactly what we should expect from him going forward. Uh, just so typical of of fans in the early going. They they see that number on the screen. It's like, well, he's hitting three whatever now, so that means he's awesome. So you got to play him all the time. And Nick Madrigal's hitting two twenty, so he stinks. Well, uh, and that it, ignores it, the health stuff too, right? <laughs> like, I mean, right. I learned a lot this weekend from folks about how uh, sturdy. Nico Horner has been the last three years, how he's never been on the injured list, how he's never dealt with yeah. multiple injuries every year. When I dared to suggest it, it's a good idea to give him the back-to-back off days because everyone was like, well, why rest him today? Tomorrow's an off day. He'll be fine. Right, I'm like, right. well, but it's good to give guy like he's performing in part <laughs> because this is being conscious of this stuff. I do yeah. think Nico, at least on the position player side, outside of uh, Saya, who I even while a rookie, I think it was kind of more of a known quantity just in terms of his professional track record. I think Nico has been maybe the most impressive guy among that group. And I'm um, considering the position he plays uh, as well as just, I mean, Sahad, if you see it, like kind of where his locker is kind of when you first walk in, like he's kind of becoming one of those like kind of spokesman type guys. And I know that's not like a, yeah. A huge deal, but you can see when he talks to us, like why he's the one on the field, like directing everything or like reminding someone when they miss the cutoff man or kind of why some of those positioning stuff works, like that involves communication and instincts and feel. And Nico has that, man. I don't know if he can stay healthy the whole time, but he's 
definitely, you know, opened my eyes in terms of what he can do at shortstop, even though he doesn't have the rocket arm that, that Javi does. Um, just, you know, kind of an impression of kind of who he is and how he's kind of, you know, I don't want to say grown up because he was always like super mature from the moment he got there, but just the, the other day at Wrigley, like when kind of the cameras are over there, he brings it up on his own of like, you know, I thought it was really cool today out the last out you had a packed house game totally out of hand and people were on their feet. Like he just is very kind of, uh, I don't know, in the moment as Joe Madden would say, and has a good head on his shoulders. And I think, um, a lot of those qualities uh, could show up if there is or is that next great Cubs team. I think you're kind of seeing what Sahad and I have written about. The Those seeds are kind of being planted now by people like Nico, and I think you could see if he stays healthy. I mean, there's a lot to work with there um, at shortstop or around the diamond. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just echo those sentiments. I completely agree, and I think I just happened to read uh, – Ken Rosenthal wrote this, I think, over the weekend about how Buster Posey leaving allowed Joey Bart to kind of emerge from the shadows as a leader. And 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 he, he it wasn't that he was it, it was a respectful thing. Right. I'm going to uh, keep to myself, be the young player. I'll I, it's not my job to be the leader here. It's not my job to speak up that this is Buster Posey's team. Joey Bart sees Buster Posey retire, understands what he needs to do. I almost feel like Nico's doing that because Nico gets so cliche, but Nico gets it. He really does. He he wasn't trying to do too much when Rizzo and Bryant and Javi were there. Uh, he understood that was Javi's spot at shortstop. He understood that Rizzo uh, liked to be the guy that uh, that was uh, looked at as uh, the leader, and and he just let things kind of flow in that in that regard. And, and this year, like just talking to him every single time you go up to talk to him, you can tell that there's, there's something different about the way he, maybe he's grown up too, because he handles us really well. The way he's always willing to chat, whether it's something inane, uh, something very specific, if it co- could come off as criticism. Cause I straight up told him, I was like, did you do something with your arm? Are you stronger there? Like, cause I didn't think it, it like, I just straight up told, I wasn't like beating around the bush. I was like, I didn't know your arm was as strong as that, as it is. And he gave me a very reasonable explanation. Did not take offense to that. Like some guys could have been like, what the hell are you talking about, man? Like, how dare you criticize my arm? I've gotten reactions like that. Like looking at me, sideways. he did not even, there was nothing that like came across like he was even slightly offended by it. He got got what I was getting at and and gave me a very reasonable response, and and I think that shows a lot of maturity and and you see it. You just see it in so many different ways. But interacting with him, it's he's it's interesting. And like Patrick said, if this team goes in the right direction, he's he's a big part of it as long as he can stay healthy. Well, and he also is a potential great example of something that we didn't see enough of in the previous core, which was developing at the big league level. Um, Nico Horner, like many of the others, arrived as a useful player. And the question is, can he be more than that? And it would be extraordinarily helpful to this 2023 team and beyond uh, if Nico does take that step forward this year and and we're seeing it so far on the defensive side at shortstop which frankly that alone is is massive in terms of the value for the Cubs but if the bat takes another little step forward 
Um, I think it goes a long way. I think it goes a long way to not proving out the new uh, hitting development infrastructure that the Cubs have have sort of propagated the last two and a half years. But I think it it just would be nice to be able to hang a hat on an example um, where you you are seeing that continued improvement from young hitters as they come up. And, um, you know, like I said, Nico might be the best example of that for the Cubs. Uh, okay. Cubs have the world champion Atlanta Braves on tap. By the way, Cubs have a better record right now than the Braves. Did you know? It's true, technically speaking. Seven and nine and seven and ten. So the Cubs go into the series a favorite, clearly, in Atlanta. Uh, and then we will be back at you on Thursday. And uh, we just appreciate you, as always, listening to On to Waveland here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can catch my writing at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. And tell your friends. Tell your friends about this wonderful Cubs podcast. Uh, All right. That'll do it. Have a great week, folks. Bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.